Welcome to Your Lot and Parcel Podcast with your host, Benjamin Diaz, designed strictly for you, the consumer. You will find that this platform has your best interests at heart. Thank you for your company. This is Benjamin. The introduction of my guest says it all of what you are to expect in this segment of our show. He is an award-winning clinical psychiatrist, an Australian music lecturer, and also a U.S. professor and Churchill Fellow. He's a senior lecturer at the University of Queensland in the School of Medicine, and in music, he has lectured at the Manhattan School of Music. During his 20 years as a doctor, he has heard stories of thousands of people. He speaks globally, in person, and virtually at law firms, medical organizations, leisure companies, and universities about preventive mental health. Let's welcome him to our show, Dr. Christian Heim. You know, when we speak in terms of mental health, it includes our emotional, psychological, and of course, social well-being. And I'm glad to have Dr. Christian Helm, uh, uh, Heim, Dr. Heim, on the show with us. Help us to appreciate those points. And uh, by the way, I must say that it's not every day I speak to someone in the future since you're yeah. down since you're down under, doctor. But uh, hey, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, and uh, we'll, we'll get into our subject matter. Well, Ben, as as you know, I am in the future because it's yes. Friday here already, and <laughs> yes. uh, we <laughs> we enjoy living in the future. But um, look, I've had the great. Uh, uh, experience of um, being a classical musician before I became a doctor and then a psychiatrist. So I understand the world in musical terms, uh, which means I've got symphonies going through my head. I've got my favorite songs. I hear sounds. And I tend to relate uh, all of how we feel as people into the language of music, which is actually a language of the emotions. Yes. No, I appreciate that. And of course, uh, Music, I found that to be very, very soothing, uh, and it's uh, you know for the uh, nervous system. And oh, it certainly I, I, is. Yes. Yeah, Doctor Heim, uh, tell us how would you define mental health, Doctor? Well, in a sense, it's it's what your podcast is all about, Ben. It's about mm-hmm. well-being. Okay. Well-being is the word that we use for mental health. In fact, the World Health Organization uses the word well-being in its definition. So it's a state of uh, well-being for an individual and appreciating all that you're capable of and being able to contribute and feel part of your society. So that encompasses a few things. Mm -hmm. So what it encompasses is first yourself. So when somebody says, how are you doing? And they say, I'm feeling good. Now, as long as you're telling the truth, (laughs) <laughs> that's that's actually mental health. Well, as you know, Ben, a lot of us don't. You know, it just becomes a polite thing to say when we're kind of dying inside. That's true. But but you mentioned how it encompasses emotional things, social things, and mental things, and physical things, and all of this is encompassed in that one word, well-being. And so, mental health, particularly from a doctor's point of view, and as a psychiatrist, what I look for is how is somebody functioning. Are they actually doing what they're supposed to be doing in life? That, mm. that is working, um, getting on with the people around them, are integrated with the community, 
and, and basically getting on with life the way that they feel that they should be getting on with life. That's mental health. Hmm. As a, I like those points. And uh, yeah, I, I can appreciate that. So, of course, uh, we live in, a, in a, you know, the human condition is so, so complex, so fragile, so tenuous. Uh, and uh, mental health, uh, sometimes it is an issue. Uh, but can it, can it be prevented? It would be my question. Well, this is one of my passions, Ben, uh, mm-hmm. to prevent mental health. Because many years ago, I, I heard a senior psychiatrist say, look, it's not good enough for you guys to be treating mental health. We've got to be preventing it as well. So if we're supposed to be preventing mental health, that means that it is preventable. So in other words, we're supposed to be preventing mental illness, okay? Mm-hmm. So, uh, and, and look, we are going through a bit of a mental health crisis at the moment. Rates are rising. And it's got nothing to do with our genetics, Ben. It actually has to do with the way that we're living. So when we're looking to prevent mental illness in our lives, what we're doing is we're looking at the core causes of mental illness. Uh, and, and so it's all these imbalances that we have in how much we work, how much we spend time with people, how much we relax, how much we worry about the future. All of these things are putting our mental health into whack. And we basically end up with an increase in mental illness because of the way that we're living. Because of that, it means that it is actually preventable. Very good. I'll just take another sip of my coffee here. <laughs> yes, there you go. So it's um, uh, you indicated sometimes. Uh, can it be genetic? I mean, uh, what, what is the culprit that causes mental? Can it be uh, hereditary, or could it be environmental? I think you did touch it, uh, what you had to say. Would, would that be correct? Safe for, for... Uh, yeah, yeah, Ben, okay. it, it is correct, and. Uh, look, as medicos, we always look for genetics. And mm-hmm. just like diabetes has a genetic component and heart disease has a genetic component, it mm-hmm. is well documented that mental illness has a medical component. No, sorry, a genetic component. Mm-hmm. But Ben, we are seeing huge rate rises in depression, anxiety, addictions, and suicide. And look, given that our genetic makeup hasn't changed terribly much in Oh, about 60,000 years now, uh, this rate rise that we're seeing over the last couple of decades mm-hmm. does not have much to do with genetics, Ben. Mm. It has to do with the environment. It has to do with the way that we're living. And the good news about that, the good news is that uh, it's preventable. We can actually do something about that. Mm. Good. Um, I'm not sure... Uh... Of course, uh, you know, they, there's so many expressions such as, you know, the rat race, you know, we just got to yes. keep moving, moving forward, you know, uh, uh, I guess yes. a lot has to do with that. Well, it's, it's interesting, Ben, because um, I'm, I'm just writing a book on this at the moment, uh, mm-hmm. uh, what the real contributors to mental illness actually are, and work is not actually one of them. Uh, mm. Work itself, uh, we have been working probably harder thousands of years ago just for our existence than we do now. Now we can actually choose to work or choose not to work, although it doesn't feel that way for a lot of people. I understand that. But it's not the work that's causing mental illness. It would be our attitude to work. Uh, It would be 
our quest to have more and more uh, and to have more instant gratification. So uh, going for instant gratification rather than long-term contentment, that's a lifestyle issue. And it's those sort of things that lead to an epidemic in addiction, for example. Uh, or something else that I'm very passionate about is good relationships among people. Mm. And then the life that we have at the moment is, and I don't just mean COVID, I mean the last couple of decades, we're actually losing all our community consciousness. We're losing our community groups, our sporting groups, our religious groups. We, in the 1930s, we used to go to town together just to watch the news. Mm. Uh, then we got uh, television in our homes. Then we got a computer in our bedrooms. And now we carry entertainment with us on a smartphone. And since then, we actually talk to each other and interact with each other a whole lot less. Mm. And uh, look, my money, Ben, is on relationships. What really keeps us together as human beings is good relationships. And if we don't have good relationships, that will lead to mental illness. There, there are more things, though. Yeah, yes. Well, that's interesting. I, I, I can relate to that. And uh, that reminds me, not too long ago, I did an episode on the Amish community. Uh, Dr. Yes. And um, that was uh, one of the principles, you know, that uh, they want to, the family has to sit together at the, at, yes. at the, at the meal and interact and, and, and uh, get acquainted as to what everybody did that day and so forth. And not so, so uh, as one of the words you use, fractured, you know. Yes. So it's, uh, I, 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 I agree with what you're saying. Um, are there, are there obvious signs that maybe um, I'm not doing so well from a mental health uh, standpoint? Are there obvious signs that I can pick up on? Yeah, there, uh, there are. But before I get into that, Ben, you, okay. you talked about doing a, bod- a podcast on, uh, on the Amish people. Yes. Uh, I'm very inspired by the Amish people and their so way of life. Oh, oh, yes. It is just wonderful. Um, and right there, there's a technique that we can use to prevent mental illness in our life. Mm-hmm. And that is whoever you live with, whoever is in your household, share a meal once a day. Uh, this is something that we used to take for granted, a family meal, and it's yeah. Thanksgiving. This is the time to share a meal. Uh, and I encourage people for their whole household, if you're students in one household or you're a family or you're just disparate people, it doesn't matter. Get together and have a meal once a day to do exactly what you said, just share what happened during the day. Because Ben, we, we humans are, are social creatures. We actually need each other. And uh, what this does is it increases some of the protective brain chemicals inside our brain. And I'm talking about brain chemicals like dopamine, which give us pleasure, mm-hmm. oxytocin, uh, which mediates that feeling of love and trust that's so important to us serotonin which mediates that feeling of calm contentment and feeling at home that's that's just a wonderful feeling and the other one is beta endorphin Mm -hmm. and people think they get beta endorphin by doing a whole lot of um, jogging or rowing and you can but the main way to get beta endorphin is by talking to people laughing together with people crying together with people sharing the experience of life with people I can appreciate that. 
I um, dopamine. You speak of dopamine. That's uh, that's the feel good uh, hormone, I believe, is it not?、Uh, how do you induce? How do you induce those chemicals if、uh, you know to take advantage of that?、Uh, uh, yeah. The, okay. So this is、uh, the best way to induce all of those chemicals in the right balance. Okay. Is to spend time with people. Okay.、Yeah. Uh, now、uh, the the thing is that sometimes you know what people can be annoying when you disagree with people, or or people are being selfish, or or we're in a grumpy mood.、Okay. But on a day to day basis, if you spend time with people and you share your life, you'll find yourself laughing. You'll 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 find yourself giggling at silly things. You'll find that there are times when everybody. Is just doing their own thing, but you feel together. Like if you're in the same room and you're reading with people,、uh, the difference between reading with people who are all in their books or being alone is that there is more serotonin when you are with people, just by sharing that. And and Ben, I, I I'm also purposely saying reading books rather than、uh, looking at your computer or being on the internet. Because unfortunately, our age of、uh, screen technology,、uh, we have studies to show that that's done the most to drive us apart as people and keep us disconnected. Which <laughs> sounds very strange, but that's the unfortunate truth, Ben. I agree with you because I, I know the、uh, as humans we're all inextricably connected.、Uh, yes. You know,、uh, no matter what background, what、uh, ethnicity, we're all we're all connected. Uh, yes, in fact, I want to explain a bit of that connection because it's very important. Yes.、Uh, because over the last twenty years, we have learned so much about the brain, and、uh, look, neuroscience is still in its infancy. There's still so much to learn. But one of the big things that we have learned is that so much of the brain is dedicated to getting on with other people.、Mm. So, Ben, I'm going to take you inside the brain. Uh, to a place in the limbic system, and the limbic system basically takes care of our emotions. But there's there's one little bulge, actually it's quite a big bulge in the limbic system,、mm-hmm. that's called the anterior cingulate gyrus.、Uh, now, it sounds like a complicated word, but it just means the front part of the belt.、Okay. And so this is this is it looks like a belt in the brain because it wraps around a, a bundle of nerves. And what Happens in this area predominantly is our empathy, our feeling with somebody else. When I see somebody else in pain, I feel pain myself. When I see somebody else having a good time, I feel a bit of joy myself. And that all happens through the anterior cingulate gyrus,、mm. and this keeps us together. But we've got this study that actually came out of China. That basically showed that people who use the internet very heavily—and I'm talking about 10, 11 hours a day—their anterior cingulate gyrus is shrinking,、mm. uh, and that to me is a frightening example of how the brain can develop in a negative way because we are interacting so much with screen technology that we don't interact with each other as much as we should. So. For me, as a psychiatrist, Ben, that's a really significant finding because what it says is our brains are changing right in front of us, and the things that we are doing on a day-to-day basis make a difference to our brain and to our mental health.、Hmm. 
That's uh, very significant uh, what you had to say there, Doctor. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I, 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 can, I can see how uh, if we do interact, there's, well, it induces different emotion, emotions such as empathy yes. is, is one, you know, and yes. uh, of course, uh, there's, uh, there's other other emotions, a, a mother and child uh, yes. uh, relationship. There's a, I can see that. And uh, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. I think we do need some more interaction and be able to, because we are gregarious creatures and uh, we're just, that's, it is falling to the wayside. Oh, Ben, uh, you're so right. You're so right. Yeah. And, and this is the main thing that we could do to prevent, to prevent mental illness. Yes. Very Spend good. Yeah. So, so um, as I had asked, would there be any any obvious signs that uh, I'm lacking uh, mental health because of that? Uh, yeah, that's that's a very good question, Ben. Because it's actually it's actually not as easy to answer that question as people mm. might think. Mm. Because okay, so uh, mental illness has to do with the mind yes. rather than the brain or the body. So we measure our emotions our perceptions and our thoughts and our behaviors so so basically if we let's start off with emotions mm -hmm. well just because you feel down for a day does not mean that you're lacking mental health because it is normal for all of us to feel up and down and to be a little bit tossed by uh, by life um, but the thing is that as psychiatrists we say that if somebody has been down really down in their mood and have lost interest in life for a two-week period, mm. then that for us is a big red flag that something needs to be done. So <clears throat> it might be normal to be down for a day or two, but it's not normal to be down for two weeks. That's kind of the cutoff point where we feel that people need to get some sort of help, mm. okay? Mm. Uh, or let's say thoughts, um, uh, because Thoughts and beliefs, uh, illnesses like schizophrenia, where uh, people believe things that are what we call delusions, and that, that's a whole topic in itself. But the, the rule of thumb that we uh, use is, look, all of us build dream castles in the sky. We've all got these hopes and dreams and some thoughts that are a little bit out there. But it's when you move in. It's when you see that dream castle in the sky as your reality, rather than I'm just dreaming here, I'm just having a bit of fun, uh, that your thoughts have, have crossed a line, uh, which means that you're probably no longer functioning as well as you should as a human being. And that's the main thing that we look at, function. Somebody who can no longer do their job, no longer interact with the people around them, they're staying in bed 24 hours a day. They can't get themselves to be part of life. Mm. Whatever the symptoms are, whatever the thoughts and the feelings, that tells us this person needs help. Mm. Now, on top of it, Ben, I, I want to say that people should get help and do what they can for their mental health way before it gets to that stage. Because uh, what we do know is people tend to ask for help in our society far too late. We are visiting with a mental health professional. Through his efforts, he is making a difference in the lives of many that need a little bit of direction in balancing their lives for the sake of mental health. 
He's addressing why society is so fractured today and what is needed to heal the human condition collectively. Here he is again, Dr. Christian Heim. Yes. <clears throat> let me um, let me ask. Um, so uh, one or two days, I'm, well, I've experienced that, uh, doctor. You know, I'm not not feeling a hundred percent one day, yeah. and the next day I'm, I bounce back. You know, but what you're saying is uh, two weeks. That's that's uh, clinical depression, correct? That's right. That's clinical depression. That's exactly yeah. right. All right. That's so what we look at for clinical depression. Very good. So uh, you get to that point. Uh, you, you got to do something. Would you say that our, our diet is a, a contributing uh, factor? All right. Well, the <clears throat> the scientific answer to that is that in the last 10, maybe 15 years, we have learned yeah. that food has much more of an effect on our brain than we first realized. Uh, but I want us to keep that in perspective, Ben, because... Mm -hmm. Uh, when people hear that, they, they, they do all sorts of weird and wonderful things with their diet, but they're still smoking their marijuana or drinking their alcohol, okay? Yes, yes. Uh, and uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, if you stop the marijuana, you're stopping like a number 8, whereas if you're changing your diet, you're changing a number 2 or 3, right? Hmm. So um, I, I, would, I would want people to look at, the substances that they're taking, things like alcohol, drugs, marijuana, um, even cigarette smoking, okay, um, those sort of things have an effect on your brain far in excess of what your, your food intake is. Also, the amount of interaction you have with other people. Make sure that you've got your family and friends around you and that you're integrated with people rather than going on extreme diets. Having said that, Ben, uh, yeah, look, uh, what science is finding out is that things that are good for you are good for you and things that are bad for you are actually bad for you. And when it comes to diets, it means that fruit, vegetable, whole grains, they're all good for you. And uh, uh, addictive substances and highly processed foods, they're not good for you. And uh, that would basically include uh, things like risk factors for diabetes and heart disease, as well as mental health. Very good. I, uh, of course, um, I, me, I, I try to stay healthy and, and, and you know, see what uh, I'm always conscious of what I'm eating, uh, ingesting and also drinking. I, I, um, of course, alcohol can be a, a sleep disruptor uh, and you got to have sleep. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, you've got to have sleep. That's right. <laughs> yep. In fact, sleep is one of the most important things that you can do for your mental health and for your physical health. Uh, and, and basically, people who get less than seven hours sleep a night, I know that as you get older, you need less sleep, but that's basically the average, are at three times the risk of catching viruses and bacteria mm -hmm. than other people. So sleep is very important. Uh, and a lot of young people, especially, they want to live the fast life, which is fine. Get out there and have fun. Fun is actually very healthy. Sure. Uh, but if, if you're getting two, three hours sleep a night rather than the uh, eight or nine, um, you're not doing yourself a favor. No, no, you're not. I, uh, I've seen it to be, uh, from a personal standpoint, my experience is equivalent 
it's equivalent to having a good diet and, and exercise, having, you know, sleeping yes, well. And, yes. and it's kind of crazy. Uh, doctors, uh, some folks say, well, uh, so, well, I only slept two hours, you know, last time because I worked, you know, you know, they're wearing like a, a badge of honor, you know? <laughs> yeah. 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 But they're not yeah. doing themselves a favor at all. Not at all. No, no, that, that's, that, that's exactly right. Uh, ben. And in fact, right there, you've, you've spoken about the, main preventative steps that you can do mm -hmm. to keep not only mental illness but even all illness away from you so the three biological things that you talked about was um uh, sleeping and eating have a good diet and uh, sleep well yeah. and you mentioned exercise and we have so many studies that show that exercise is protective against depression but you see yeah. it's also uh, uh, protective against heart disease and against diabetes and uh, the third thing is actually to avoid addictive substances. Uh, and I can't stress this too much because uh, a lot of the hospital wards that I work in are filled with people that have had too many of these substances, right? Mm -hmm. So if you drink a little bit of alcohol, that's fine. If you drink a lot of alcohol, that's a problem. And it's going to be a problem for your liver and for your brain and for your um, heart as well as your mental illness. Yes, yes. I agree with that. <clears throat> Very good. So, of course, we can uh, control what we do. Uh, but what if you have a friend or, or a relative that you're worried about? What can you do to, to help uh, an individual to, to, see the, to see the light, if, as it were? Uh, ben, this is really important because the first thing that we need to do is actually be a friend. Yes. Okay. To say, hey, John, I, I can see you're not doing too well. Is there anything we need to talk about? Is there any way that I can help? Because there is still so much stigma around mental health, Ben, that, that people don't want to go for help. They're, they're afraid of, uh, that they'll never get better. Uh, they're also afraid of the stigma of being labeled as somebody who has a mental illness. Mm -hmm. And here's the thing that really gets me, Ben, because as a psychiatrist, I know that there are really good treatment options out there and that getting over a mental illness is a lot easier and you can be a lot more optimistic than people actually think. But because of the fear, they don't take that first step of going to see a doctor. But as a friend, you can first sort of say, hey, I found this good stuff on the internet here. Hey, I've got this good book. What if we just have a chat? There are a whole lot of other options before you say, you know, man, you've got to go see a doctor. That's, it's not always the first thing. But it may be one of the things that you'll have to say. Yeah. But more than anything, we just know it's important to talk. And the yeah, more yeah. people are talking in the community, the less mental illness there is in the community. Absolutely. Absolutely. And of course, if you're a good friend, uh, you might want to invite, uh, you know, uh, yourself. If he allow you to do that, you know, I'll go with you. You know, I'll go with you. And, oh, that's wonderful. You know, that's that, exactly I, right. I, I think that'd be a good thing to do to, to help an individual. Um, um, doctor um, Haim, is it possible to, to change a personality? Uh, and I, and I'll ask, let me relate this. Uh, this uh, my monk, I had an uncle at one time. He's passed away now, but um, yeah, <clears throat> he was amazing. He was amazing. Uh, he he was always had a, an even temperament, uh, um, day or night, no matter what day it was, no matter what time it was. He was always the same. Very, yep. <laughs> but you know what? He was always angry. That was the problem. <laughs> oh. <laughs> he, 
He was always All angry. Right. So he was amazing that way. You know, he was always <laughs> angry. I could always depend on that, doctor. You know, so can a person like that change? <laughs> All right. Uh, yes. the, the short answer, Ben, is yes. Okay. Um, but the long answer is, is is just a little bit more complex. Yes, than that. I would think so. Yes. Okay, so so first of all, people want to know if you can make really big changes in your personality, mm-hmm. and uh, scientifically, we know that people can make really big changes in your personality, but most of these happen before the age of thirty, and I really am talking about conversion experiences when people go through uh, from a life of crime to. Um, they've they found a religion which really sits nicely for them, and yeah. they actually change their lives completely. Mm. Uh, and but but that's a rare experience, but it does happen, and sure. it happens actually in young people a whole lot more than in older people. So when you're looking at somebody like your uncle who's been angry for a long, long time, and we ask, can he change his personality? The answer is yes. But I use this metaphor that the personality is it's like your body, right? Now, you can keep your body fit and trim if you're carrying too many pounds or if you're not as strong as you'd like that body to be. You can exercise and with effort you'll get there. But you can't really change the color of your eyes or you're not going to change the length of your arms or you're not going to change how many toes you have on your feet. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the personality is a bit like that. You can change things like anger uh, by working on it. It, It's like exercising a lot to lose a whole lot of weight. It takes effort, but you see the rewards. You reap the rewards and little by little over weeks, over months, things actually change. And it's it's good to have a trainer when you're trying to lose all those pounds. Mm -hmm. And it's good to have a trainer if you're trying to lose that anger and become a lot more level-headed. So that's the best analogy I can give you, Ben, as to how we can change our personality. It can be done, but it takes effort. Very good. Yeah. Uh, As they say, you know, inch by inch is a cinch. So, you know, just uh, one one step at a time, doctor, you know. Uh, Yeah. uh, Dr. Heim, you know, we talked about depression and and, and so forth. Uh, uh, There are risk factors to that, aren't there? There are risk factors to depression. Uh, And um, so what we'd like to do is to see that you can keep these risk factors under control. So the risk factors that we look for in depression is, uh, yeah, genetics is a risk factor. Mm -hmm. But uh, decades ago, I used to tell people that if you had a parent with a depression, uh, your chances of getting depression is about 14%. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, unfortunately, these days where the risk of anybody in the population getting depression is over 20%, uh, the genetic risk factor is looking less and less of a problem. So what we're looking for is environmental risk factors that you can do something about. Uh, So life events, we can't control all that happens to us, but we can look at the way we react to how life happens to us. And if we can surround ourselves with people, our reactions to life events that are a problem just become a bit easier. So people, uh, loneliness is a risk factor for depression. So having people around you 
any people, people that are friends, family, even having enemies around you is better than having nobody around you. Yeah. So people, and this is the big risk factor for all of society because we're losing, we're losing people. So just an example of that, we know that um, divorced men are six times as likely to take their own lives as men that are married. Yeah. Uh, and that's huge. That's huge because of the amount of loneliness that uh, that gets experienced. So another big risk factor is, and I've said it a few times today, the uh, alcohol and the substances that we take. Alcohol is a risk factor for depression. Yes. And that's something that can be changed. Uh, I'm not saying that people have to give up all of their alcohol, but obviously the less, the better. Uh, another risk factor is uh, chronic pain. Uh, pain particularly as you get older, is a problem for many, many people. And the answer is to do what you can, just to do what you can. Uh, and that will then bring down your risk for depression because uh, with pain comes the risk of depression. Yes, very good. <clears throat> you indicated that, uh, of course, we have to surround ourselves. Uh, that reminds me of an entrepreneur. Uh, he's passed away a few years quite a few years ago jim rome was his name he was also a philosopher he said that you are the average of the five individuals you surround yourself with oh and wow that's a good way of looking at life yes. it is yeah and so if, if we uh, associate with those that are uh, positive and have good uh, good habits good uh, good outlook in life well you see some of that uh, is contagious yes so, it is yeah it is so, uh, yeah, in fact, my, my wife does a lot of um, research into what is contagious. Uh, laughter, for example, is contagious. But oh, yes. um, if, as we do these days, you, you look at your screen to find your jokes, rather than being with people who are telling jokes, then there's no contagion there. It's just you and the screen. Whereas if you've gone to a comedy club or if you've just spent a Saturday night with friends and somebody's good at telling jokes you laugh and you don't even know why you're laughing sometimes and it feels good and it's that feeling of contagion that again is transmitted through the anterior cingulate gyrus that i spoke about before we humans are connected and yes. that feels fantastic yeah so I, i've been there i've been there where you you're, you're at a restaurant and across the way Someone is just just a real, real, a real belly laugh, you know, and he yeah. just can't help to laugh along with him. You know, I have That's no exactly idea, right. no That's idea exactly right. what they say or what's going yeah. on over there, but I, it is contagious. <laughs> yes, it is contagious. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. My goodness. So, um, no, I, 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 I love that. So, uh, well, even even pathos is contagious. Like if, yeah. if you're driving along the road and, um, a funeral train passes your car or, you know, uh, you had to stop for all these cars that had their lights on because they're behind somebody who's just died. Yes. Uh, you'll find yourself going into this uh, space of reverence where you'll just be a bit quiet and just mm -hmm. a little bit reflective sure. and you catch the feeling of a funeral around you. And yeah. that too is contagious. And I know this sounds strange, but that's actually healthy. No. That it's contagious is actually healthy. I think so. It, it, uh, you, you begin to be pensive and and, and understand the, the sorrow of, of another individual. You know, so yes. it's uh, no, there, there's a connection. There's definitely a tether 
of emotion there. So uh, yes, no, I, I appreciate that very much. Um, Dr. Heim, uh, what what services or I know you have a you have a a a, a, a subscription um, on, on your yeah. um, can tell us about what 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 you have available for the public or my audience, if you would. Well, Ben, what uh, what I do is I, I put out uh, podcasts and okay. blog posts uh, uh, every week at the moment. Uh, we, we will put out some some videos on YouTube every now and again. And uh, I've always uh, I've always got a book coming out somewhere along the line. I, I I think earlier this year we published a book on love, and now we're just putting out a book on forgiveness, mm-hmm. and that's all available on Amazon. But uh, our website, which is uh, Dr. Christian Heim, just Dr. Christian Heim, uh, that's got all that information. And like a lot of people these days, we've got a few different platforms, including LinkedIn and Facebook and sure. Instagram. And so people like to follow the way that they can. And uh, anybody who sees this will know that um, the thing that I have written there is that I'm into preventative mental health. Uh, The things that prevent mental health, particularly love and relationships, gratitude and forgiveness. As a psychiatrist, I see people who have these things going on in their lives are just doing better than others. Mm -hmm. And so... That's where you can find us out there, Ben. And thanks for asking. Sure, sure. I, I, I want you to know I did read your first chapter on the seven types of love. And um, yeah. it, it's amazing. And uh, and also, by the way, what's the name of your podcast, uh, Doctor? Uh, the podcast? Uh, yes. It's called the Christian Heim Podcast, the Dr. Christian Heim Podcast. Very good. Okay. And I believe that's up on uh, a, a few different um, podcasters. Okay. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Well, I want to thank you. Uh, I'm really I admire your, your expertise and your commitment and what you're doing. And, and I want to thank you. You're very gracious to come on your lot and parcel show. And I wish you the best doctor. Uh, and Ben, I wish lot and parcel all the best too, because what you're doing is getting the information out there. And so the service that you're giving the community to facilitate people like myself and other people that you have on this podcast to get exciting ideas out there. We thank you for it, Ben. We really value what you do. Thank you. You take care, doctor. Okay, you take care too. Hey, listeners, if you have a recommendation for a show or you have a question or a comment or just want to say hello, drop me a note at charlottenparcel.org. And now, if you would excuse me... This program has been produced by Isaac Diaz with music by Echo Foxtown. All the opinions expressed in this podcast are opinions only and should not be relied on. For more information, please visit the website yourlotandparcel.com.